her sister uh, Ty. Um, your prayers have been answered. And she has received the ultimate healing. You know, and I invited her to come out and stay with me for a, a few weeks. I thought we could uh, go to the national parks and see the sites around here, and she was just laid up so much for what uh, we found out later was uh, a recurrence of the lymphoma that she had had before. And I took her in mid-September to Las Vegas, where she stayed at the home of a... Uh, missionary couple that I know, uh, Jock Moore and his wife Dana. And uh, they took her to the hospital and found out that the lymphoma had come back and they started treatments and she had a uh, bad reaction to it. She suffered a massive stroke <clears throat> this past week and was basically in a vegetative state. So uh, her wishes you know, were that uh, they not prolong it and uh, she would to be with the Lord sometime this morning, I believe. I got a message from Jock, and I'm going to call him, get more information on it. But again, you know, her suffering's over. Her time was, was over. You know, she gave me a lot of help when I knew for my missionary work there in Thailand, put me in contact with a lot of people, and uh, she had, you know, big plans for me when I uh, go back, if I go back. But, um, uh, God's will is perfect. You know, sometimes he doesn't answer prayers the way that we expect him to or want him to, but he knows what's best. And so I thank God that his will has been done with uh, Sister Ty, and she's up there in the streets of glory. You know, Amen. one of these days we'll see her again. Uh, I truly regret that uh, you didn't get to know her better because she was really a uh, wonderful person. And she still is now, but she's with Jesus. Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 4. Um, go ahead and bring the uh, PowerPoint presentation up, Randy. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. And the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that had any of the things which he possessed was his own, and they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many of as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them at the feet of the apostles and distribution was made unto every man according to as he had need. And Joseph, by whom, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which being interpreted is the son of consolation, or son of encouragement, 
a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Father, as we come before you, Lord, and begin to study the life of this man, Barnabas, Lord, I pray to, that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord God. Enlighten us, Lord God, and help us to be as Barnabas was, Lord, sons of encouragement, daughters of encouragement. Lord, for we know that there is a world out there that is hurting, that needs Jesus. And so, Lord God, I pray that we would be inspired to become encouragers, just as Barnabas was, Lord. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint these lips of clay, Lord. I have no ability of my own, Lord, but I do have your word which burns on my heart, Lord, and help me to share it with uh, uh, clarity of uh, thought and speech, and I uh, pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to speak to you this morning from the message, Be a Barnabas, and it concerns this man, Barnabas. His name means son of exhortation or Son of Encouragement. Barnabas is one of my very favorite, favorite figures in the Bible and a very key person in church history, as we're going to see. Uh, go to the next slide, if you would, Randy. I'm going to talk about Barnabas today and also a lot about the book of Hebrews, because the book of Hebrews is my favorite book in the New Testament. Many of you have maybe never read the book of Hebrews before, and many more who have read it are kind of puzzled by it. You know, it's not an easy book to read, and the concepts that it contains are very deep. Hebrews is kind of the epitome of what we call the meat of the word. It's not milk. It's not you know, something you can digest easy. You've got to really get down and chew on it. And he even talks about, uh, it makes that comparison between the meat of the word and the milk of the word in the latter part of the fifth chapter. Basically, the book is a comparison of the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. Now, the background of the book is that uh, it was written to the Jews of the Greco-Roman world. And the Jews of the Greco-Roman world were kind of in a uh, uh, bad position. You know, they didn't worship the same gods that the uh, uh, Greeks and the Romans did. They're even, they were even called atheists, not because they didn't believe in God, but they didn't believe in the Roman and Greek gods, you know, Jupiter and uh, Saturn and uh, uh, Venus and those, you know, uh, you know, the ones that you find the planets named after, those guys. They didn't worship these people. You know, it was kind of a uh, fashionable back then to take one of these gods that they believed in and, you know, may, the, this particular god would be your favorite god. Well, the, the Jews didn't do that. And uh, they were ki kind of kept to themselves. They were like a society th themselves and they were ostracized from the Greek and Roman society. But the thing is, the Jews, even though they were ostracized from society as a whole, they always had each other. But then, Jesus came along. And people 
became followers of Jesus, Jews and Gentiles. And then the Jewish community, you know, the, the Jews always had each other. Even if they were ostracized from society as a whole, they still had each other. But now the Jews that turned to Jesus were ostracized from the Jewish society too. So what happened? They had nothing now. And so a lot of them were beginning to get discouraged and lapsed back into Judaism. And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about, is the writer, whoever it was, was telling them, the, the Jews there, don't do this. You know, the key word in the book of Hebrews is better. It starts out by comparing Jesus with the figures that are associated in the Old Covenant. And the writer t tells the uh, uh, Jews that Jesus is better than the prophets that inaugurated the Old Testament. He's better than the angels that communicated the message. He's better than David. He's better than Moses. He's better than Abraham. He's better than Levi. And then he graduates into the new covenant as opposed to the old. And he says that the new covenant is better than the old because it was founded on better promises, a better sacrifice, a better mediator, and a better high priest. And then the writer says, guess what? The old has passed away. The new has come into being. Why do you want to go back to the old when you got to the new, which is so much better than the old? Now, the book of Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament that we do not know who wrote it. And the thing that strikes me is when you listen to Bible teachers who teach on this subject, you know, and speculate on who wrote the book of Hebrews, it seems to me that they always want to read the writer of the book into their own style of ministry. I studied under Walter Martin for uh, two years, and Walter Martin thought that Apollos wrote it. And I think he got this from, from the description of Apollos and his ministry at the end of Acts chapter 18, where it talks about how Apollos was uh, mighty in the scriptures and uh, a mighty man, uh, a mighty orator, you know, and he would go up there and prove publicly that Jesus was the Christ from the scriptures. And I said, man, that's the kind of person Walter Martin was. If you've ever heard him or had a chance to uh, listen underneath him, he'd be a great man in a debate. And, you know, he could have been a, a lawyer, you know. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapels. How many of you have heard uh, of the Calvary Chapels before? A great ministry. Uh, uh, I... I I used to go to Calvary Chapel in uh, Costa Mesa, you know, and sit under uh, Chuck uh, Smith's teaching ministry, uh, uh, you know, while I was going to Bible college. And Chuck Smith thought that Paul wrote it. And he got this from uh, Hebrews 13.23, where Timothy is mentioned. Uh, that's the only New Testament figure mentioned in the book. So whoever the writer of the book of Hebrews was either had to be Paul or somebody closely associated with uh, Paul's ministry. Now, Chuck Smith was a great Bible teacher, you know, one of the uh, greatest of the past century, I think. 
And Paul was perhaps the greatest Bible teacher in the New Testament, except for the Lord himself, of course. Uh, so, you know, Chuck would uh, naturally think, you know, well, I'm a great, I'm a, a Bible teacher. Paul was uh, the greatest, you know, so maybe Paul wrote it. Also, Eusebius writing in the early 4th century in his ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical history said that Paul had written it and uh, uh, it was translated in, Paul had originally written it in Hebrew and then it was translated into Greek by Luke. That's a possibility, but I for one disagree with the theory that Paul wrote it. And the simple reason is that Hebrews does not fit Paul's style of writing at all. And you need look no further uh, with this than the way that the various epistles open up. All 13 of Paul's epistles will start out like this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the church at, you know, or uh, such and such a location, or such and such a person, Timothy, Titus, uh, Philemon. Uh, Grace, mercy, and peace through God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he introduces himself, says, you know, who the letter is addressed to, and usually takes a few verses to get warmed up. So does the book of Hebrews start out that way? Well, look at chapter 1, verse 1. It starts out, God who at sundry times and diverse manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. What's the writer of Hebrews do? He opens up, and he's going 100 miles an hour. No warm-up, no introductions. He's going 100 miles an hour right away, right from the get-go. <clears throat> now, just because I don't think that Paul wrote it, don't get me wrong, it's no less uh, the Word of God than any other book in the New Testament. I love the book of Hebrews. You know, the book of Hebrews is the only uh, book that, uh, in, of the Bible that I have ever memorized from start to finish. Now, uh, the first year of Bible college I, that I had, I was, got involved in a conversation with a co-worker who was a Christian. And I was talking to him about this class that I was taking at the time called New Testament Biblical Theology. And, you know, we started uh, discussing about who wrote the book of Hebrews. And Lionel Story, my teacher in this class, espoused the theory that Barnabas had written it. And the reason for this is, as we read here in Acts 4, verse 36, Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which being interpreted is the son of encouragement, a Levite of the tribe, uh, of the country of Cyprus. So, two things you learn about uh, Barnabas right there is that he was a Levite from the island of Cyprus. Well, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews had to have an intricate knowledge of the Levitical sacrificial system that you find in the Old Testament. And being a Levite, of course, Barnabas would have had that. And also, he was from the island of Cyprus. Now, Cyprus was where they spoke the best Greek in the Greco-Roman world. And Lyle's story, 
you know, my teacher for the class also happened to be the Greek professor there. So naturally, well, once again, you know, kind of read it into your own ministry. He thought that Barnabas wrote it because the best Greek in the New Testament was found there in uh, the book of Hebrews. Well, this co-worker of mine kind of brushed this theory off, you know. Uh, you know, he says, well, you know, Barnabas had that dispute uh, with the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 15, you know, about uh, John Mark uh, continuing with them in the ministry. And he says, you know, they parted company, and you never hear about Barnabas after that. Well, next slide. Uh, actually, that was uh, untrue, because if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6... <coughs> Paul mentions Barnabas just kind of in passing right here. Or if I only and Barnabas have we no right to forbear working. So Barnabas is mentioned. You know, this was written at least about a half a dozen years after the dispute occurred in Acts chapter 15. So apparently Barnabas and Paul had reconciled. But to this guy, uh, my coworker, you know, Barnabas's crime is that he dared to dispute with the Lord's Apostle Paul concerning John Mark. You know, was that a crime? Sticking up for somebody, a fellow brother or sister? You know, Paul said, you know, Mark had abandoned them. You read that in uh, uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 13, during their first missionary journey. You know, uh, <clears throat> Uh, John Mark accompanied Barnabas and Saul during the first missionary trip, and uh, he just got uh, freaked out or uh, discouraged or, you know, what, whatever happened, he just packed up and uh, left them. And this was right after the episode with the Elimus the Sorcerer. You know, when uh, 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 Elimus the Sorcerer had opposed uh, the ministry of the uh, missionaries and uh, uh, tried to turn away uh, Sergius Paulus from the uh, truth, you know, Paul looked at him and called him a child of the devil and pronounced God's judgment upon him and blindness fell upon this sorcerer. You know, once again, the power of God is greater than the power of Satan. So I don't know, maybe John Mark kind of got freaked out at this and just whatever it was, he, he packed up and left and went back to Jerusalem. Maybe he was just homesick. He was a very young man at the time. And Paul was saying in this dispute in Acts chapter 15, uh, we can't take him back with us again. You know, kind of goes back to that adage, uh, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. But very, very careful, brothers and sisters, that you don't put the Apostle Paul on this lofty pedestal. You know, uh, he may have written... Uh, almost half of the New Testament books, 13 out of the 27 books that we have, but he was human too. He talks about the uh, human struggles that he uh, went through in uh, Romans, the latter part of Romans chapter 7. And he was known to have made mistakes, and I believe this is one of them. Now, he's, you know, I believe that he was really on the wrong side of this dispute with Barnabas concerning John Mark. Now, you say, well, how do you know that? Well, 
you have, the, first of all, the testimony of uh, church history. Next slide, please. <clears throat> Keep in mind that the person that the dispute was, that uh, Paul had lost faith in, but Barnabas had not lost faith in, was John Mark. And this man that Barnabas stood up for later wrote the second gospel. You realize that if uh, Barnabas hadn't gone to bat for John Mark, we might only have three Gospels? And maybe not even that much. You know, scholars think that uh, Mark was the first Gospel that was written, and Luke and Matthew both borrowed heavily from it. That's why the three of them are called the Synoptic Gospels, because they kind of follow the same general format. John was, another, you know, the, the book of John is another case entirely. It's uh, not arranged the same way as the other three are. So, you know, they, they think that uh, Matthew and Luke both borrowed heavily from that first gospel, the gospel of Mark. Later on, Paul comes full circle and receives John Mark back into his ministry. In Colossians 4.10, he writes... My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. This is many, many years later after Acts chapter 15. So Paul was reconciled to John Mark, and who had caused the dispute, so he most certainly uh, was reconciled to Barnabas also. And finally, if you look at 2 Timothy 4.11... Paul writes, only Luke is with me. This is Paul at the end of his life. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Now this is the same Mark, John Mark, that years earlier Paul had told Barnabas in effect, take him with us out to the mission field again? Not in your life. He abandoned us before. He's probably going to do it again. You know, he's liable to do it again. He's not going to liable to anything. And now Paul eats his word. He says, Mark is profitable to me for the ministry. Interesting. Before he was <clears throat> unprofitable, now he is profitable. And over and over again, you see this, brothers and sisters. It happens in ministry all the time. Just when you think somebody's a lost cause, you give up on them and come back five or ten years later when they're tearing up the world for Jesus. Hallelujah. The reason for this is God never gives up on us, brothers and sisters. Amen. We may give up on people, but God never gives up on them. And so neither should we. Now, if there's any other doubt still whether Barnabas had found out a favor with God, just take a look at Acts chapter 11, verses 24 through, uh, uh, 22 through uh, 24. When tidings of these things, that is, uh, there was a revival that was breaking out in the uh, city of Antioch, 
When tidings of these things came to the church which was in Jerusalem, they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them, there's that word, exhort, exhorted them, that, or encouraged them, that all with the purpose of heart that they would cling unto the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and many people were added unto the Lord. The Holy Spirit inspired Luke, and this is what he wrote about Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You know, brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but when it's all is said and done, I would love to have that written about me. Brother Sheldon was a good man, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Sister Sarah was a good woman, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. How would you like for that to be written about you? I know I sure would. Go to the next slide, please. And then to see the true heart of Barnabas, look at the next two verses there in uh, Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that for a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught many people. And the disciples were first called Christians there at Antioch. So, backtrack a little bit on the life of the Apostle Paul. It says that Barnabas found him in Tarsus. Tarsus was his uh, birth city. That's where he grew up. And uh, you, everybody knows the story of uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, how um, he persecuted the church beforehand. And then he... Uh, the, the Lord met him on the road to Damascus, and he, it turned his whole life around. You know, Paul was a go-getter. You know, he, he was always going 100 miles an hour in one direction or another. And it took the Lord turning him around. He was going 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction, and God turned him around, and he's going 100 miles an hour in the other direction. Now, he was so zealous, though, that he began to preach Jesus and uh, uh, telling the Jews, you guys are wrong, you know, you guys should not be uh, persecuting Jesus, you should embrace his message. And he rubbed some people the wrong way, and what did they do? Well, they had to let him over the side of the, the city wall in a basket. And then as soon as he uh, uh, got free from them in uh, Damascus, he went to Jerusalem, and he, the same thing happened all over again. So they packed, had to pack him off to uh, uh, Tarsus. He was a little bit, you know, too zealous for, for most people's taste. So what he was doing there in Tarsus, we don't know. But he may have stayed there for uh, years. He also went to Arabia, you know, and spent time in Arabia. <clears throat> and I believe... Uh, uh, the Lord may have given him some of his visions out there in Arabia. 
But he, anyway, he wound up in uh, Tarsus. What he was doing there, we don't know. If he'd gone back to his tent-making trade or if he uh, was just leading a Bible study, something like that. But, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and once again, when, when Barnabas went to uh, Jerusalem too, the disciples there were afraid of him. You know, they... they uh, he'd been persecuting the church, and who went to bat for him? It was Barnabas that went to bat for him then. You know, went, took him to, to the leaders there, said he, he's, he's okay, he's met the Lord, you know, his heart's been changed, you know, and uh, that's the way that Barnabas always was. He was always going to bat for people. Um, so back in uh, chapter 11, God begins to move here in Antioch. And leaders are needed. And Barnabas says, I've just got the man for the job, Saul of Tarsus. So he seeks uh, Saul out, Paul, who became Paul, and tells him, God is doing a marvelous work in uh, uh, Antioch. Come along. And so Bar uh, Saul goes, and the rest is history. He was there in Antioch that the uh, first uh, great missionary push began in Acts chapter 13. Saul becomes Paul, and he teams together with Barnabas to be the first great missionary push of the early church. Next slide. Oh. <laughs> okay. Now, the point that I'm trying to make today is that Barnabas means the son of encouragement. And that describes his whole ministry, what he was to his fellow members of the body of Christ. And he was given that name by his fellow ministers uh, for, uh, th there was a reason for it. He was always encouraging others, always exhorting others. And in the process, he was trying to make them to become all that they could be in Jesus Christ. He did that with Saul, who became Paul. And he also did it with John Mark, who wrote the second gospel. And only God knows how many other Christians have been influenced for the good along the way. Not to mention as well, if he did in fact write the book of Hebrews, you know, the book of Hebrews is a word of exhortation. It even calls itself a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement. And that's the kind of ministry I want to have, brothers and sisters. And I think it's the kind of ministry that all of us should want to have. I want us all to be Barnabases, all of us sons of encouragement, daughters of encouragement. And you say, well, how can I be a Barnabas? How can I be a son or daughter of encouragement? Well, let's look at some of the characteristics of uh, Barnabas's life. The first time we see Barnabas mentioned in the book of, in the Bible was in the opening scripture that I read there. Acts chapter 4, verses 20, uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse, verses uh, uh, 36 and 37. So the curtain opens up and here's uh, Barnabas, Joseph, who uh, by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which interpreted means the son of encouragement, 
a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought it the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the first thing that you need to do, you need to have, the attitude that you need to have, is that material uh, possessions meant nothing to Barnabas. He only wanted to see the people of God taken care of. So the first thing you need to do to be a Barnabas is to be a loving and caring person, a giving person, willing to give of yourself, you know, your time, your wealth, your talents, so that others can benefit by your life. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men so that they may do what? See your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Second of all, we also read about Barnabas in chapter 11 of Acts that he was a good man. We've already seen that. A good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So to be a Barnabas, you need to be a good man or good woman full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And to get these qualities, they really only come about in one way. You first of all have to be a man or a woman of prayer. Men and women who are willing to spend time in the presence of Jesus and the Father. And thereby, that's how you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that you can minister in his power. It's also there that you learn the sensitivity to the Spirit's leading. And God will lead you into truth concerning the people that you are praying for. And he will show you things regarding that individual. You may see gifts that the people that you are interceding for might have. They may not even know that they have an ability in that, but the Spirit will reveal it to you. And then you can see that, and then you can go to that person, and you can begin to encourage him or her Develop this gift. Uh, this is what I see in you. You can really benefit God in God's kingdom if you develop this gift in your life. Yeah. Next slide. <clears throat> Thirdly, whenever you see Barnabas in Scripture, it seems like he is forever interceding for others. Not just before God, but also before men. He interceded first for Paul. You know, the disciples in Jerusalem didn't want to have anything to do with him. He was the one that persecuted the church. But Barnabas stood up for him, told him how the Lord had visited Paul on the way to Damascus, the road to Damascus. And then later on, he brought him to Antioch again and introduced him to the new church and that's where his call as the apostle to the Gentiles was manifested. Then again, he interceded on John Mark's behalf. 
and in the process restored a brother to ministry. Though he and Paul actually had to depart over this, the dispute. There's going to be times, brothers and sisters, when you intercede on behalf of others that you're going to have to get your hands dirty and your nose bloodied. But believe me, it's worth it when you restore people, you reconcile people. The ministry of reconciliation. One of these days, I'd like to be able to preach on that, the ministry of reconciliation. That's what, another thing, that we, ministry that we all have. We're, here, we're supposed to be reconciling this world, this lost world, to Jesus. Jesus already took the step when he died on the cross for our sins. And, you know, we're to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters. You know, we are personally to be reconciled to them, and we're try to try to reconcile others to each other, too, when there's a broken relationship. God can use us as encouragers to do that, accomplish that reconciliation. And finally, <clears throat> in order to be a Barnabas, you have to be able to see the potential in others. You see them as they might be in Christ if he gets full control of their lives. Barnabas saw the potential in Paul. He saw the potential in John Mark. He didn't look at past failures and decide, you know, let's just abandon him, you know, abandon Paul, you know, he failed before. Abandon Mark, you know, he's failed before. <clears throat> he didn't see for what people, people for what they were in the present or what they had done in the past. He saw them as diamonds in the rough. He saw them as they could be if Christ got a hold of their lives. And, and Christ got a hold of their lives and he saw what they could be if they were changed and transformed into the image of Christ you, and using their talents and abilities for him. Amen. And so it is today, brothers and sisters. God is still changing the Jacobs into Israels. Amen. He's still changing the Simons into Peters. He's still changing the Sauls into Pauls. Don't look on the negative of a person's life. See them for what they can be in Christ. I once read a book called Praying Hide. The story of uh, John Hyde, who was a uh, missionary to um, India. And he was known as the Apostle of Prayer. He got to India and he began to pray as a ministry. He would pray for four six, eight, sometimes ten hours a day. And God used him in a mighty way. Many different uh, revivals sprung up uh, you know, from his life. So he was called the Apostle of Prayer. He was an apostle in that he founded this ministry. He showed what could be accomplished through the ministry of prayer. One day he was praying for uh, this national leader that desperately 
you know, needed something. His ministry was going nowhere, and he needed a revival in his life. And John Hyde started praying and saying, Lord, you see this brother, you know, you know how cold he, his heart is. And he got no further than that. And it was like the Lord put his finger on his lips and said, do not say th thusly, because who, he who touches me touches the apple of my eye. And he fell down to his knees and he just said, oh God, forgive me, because I've become an accuser of the brethren. Sorry, I get a little emotional sometimes when I talk about this. <clears throat> and he asked God to show him how to pray for this man. And the Lord began to show him different things in this man's ministry that were praiseworthy. And instead of accusing this man, he began to praise God for him. A short time later, he found out that this man had had a revival in his life and that he was preaching with fervency and power and God had turned his ministry around. That's what happens when you become a Barnabas, a child of encouragement and begin to praise God for the gifts that you see in different people. God brought to Praying Head's remembrance, Philippians 4.8. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Last slide. Oh, we're behind here. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay, keep keep going, uh, Randy. Conclusion. Brothers and sisters, be a Barnabas. Be a son of encouragement. Be a daughter of encouragement. Amen. You know, my conclusion is that I believe that Barnabas did write the book of Hebrews but not for those earlier arguments about uh, Levite and a, uh, from the Isle of uh, Cyprus, but because I see Barnabas's fingerprints all over the book. It even calls itself in uh, uh, chapter 13, verse 22, bear with the word of encouragement I have written to you in a few words. The Hebrew Christians needed encouragement. And that's what the writer was trying to do them. He lays out all of these carefully crafted arguments why the new covenant was better than the old. And then said, don't turn back to the new. Press on, keep on keeping on. encouragement. And, you know, I memorized that book, you know, uh, the way it came about is 
I was a missionary there in uh, Thailand, living in uh, Bangkok, and I would uh, be sitting in traffic, you know, traffic jams are pretty bad there in, uh, you know, Bangkok like they are in a lot of big cities. Many of you never lived in a big city before, but you, you encountered them, believe me. And I would uh, be sitting on a bus there and just daydreaming, and then I hit on the idea, why not, you know, get the Word of God into uh, my heart? Why not memorize it? So I began to carry these little, uh, uh, you know, cards about the size of a business card. I would put it in my wallet, and I would go through it. And, you know, brothers and sisters, when you memorize Scripture, and, and here I'm encouraging you right now, memorize Scriptures. When you memorize scripture, two things happen. You know, it not only goes into your memory, <clears throat> but you also chew on it. You're forced to chew on it, meditate on it, ruminate on it, and it goes into your spirit. And the second thing that happens is God will use that and he will quicken that to your memory at a time when you really need it. Example of that, Hebrews uh, 10, verse, verses 35 and 36. Came to me years later after I had memorized the book. Brought, God brought these scriptures to my memory. I was, you know, doing a lot of praying at the time, and I was getting a bit discouraged, and then God brought these Messages to me, Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience after that you have received the word of God, that you might inherit the promise. God the Holy Spirit brought that scripture to my mind. And it was the word of encouragement. That's what I, we need to do brothers and sisters. If you fill up your mind with the word of God, then you can give the word of God to others too. You know, I, I shared with the Wednesday night crowd the, the ministry of Dick Mills. That's what he would do, is he would get up and he would preach and then he would call people forward and different people out there in the congregation, he would give them words of the Lord. You know, he gave me a word uh, concerning, um, you know, my uh, first class that I ever took. And it turned out to uh, be fulfilled, literally, you know, as uh, God opened up the door of ministry for me to go into Thailand. So be a Barnabas, brothers and sisters. Be a son of encouragement. Be a daughter of encouragement. And in tune, turn, you know, we can win this world for Christ. There's a world that's out there, it's lost, and it's hurting and it needs Barnabases, both men and women, as sons and daughters of encouragement. All remember this too. And thank you for being with us now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.